Well, thank you, Dr. Liz, for uh, being a guest on our podcast. Um, I just want to, uh, first of all, just let everybody know that I met Dr. Liz through uh, Dr. Ephraim Smith. We're part of a, a larger group called the Empower Initiative. And um, and I just had to have you on uh, the show after you gave this stellar uh, presentation about church planting and the black brown uh, experience. And so when we uh, when, when we're talking uh, today, that's kind of our focus uh, for today is around church planting and the black and brown uh, communities, uh, as well as women in leadership in church planting. And so uh, why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry? Thank you so much, uh, Pastor Peter, for having me. Um, I really am honored to, to be on this podcast with you, and I'm honored that you found some value in the presentation that I gave. And so to talk about myself and my ministry, gosh, um, I, I've been involved. I mean, I'm in my 50s. So um, I've been involved in a lot of different things. And um, I, recently, um, the main thing that I've been working on is in church planting, but specifically in the black and brown uh, communities. I've been a pastor, an executive pastor, co-lead pastor, you know, been in uh, various different uh, positions in the church and, um, you know, have, have had a lot of um, interesting experiences, um, you know, good, bad, and ugly, right? And uh, when I started the process of church planting and going through the natural um, process that's available right now, or that was available at the time that I was planting, um, I just found that there were um, some things that were missing, not necessarily that the dominant culture uh, church planting networks were doing something horribly wrong, mm -hmm. but that they just weren't covering some of the things that I think were necessary for black and brown uh, church planters, especially those that were committed to going to urban neighborhoods. So I decided to start uh, the Passion to Plant Network. And basically our, our mission is to uh, give training to black and brown church planters so that they can start justice oriented churches right from the start. I, and, um, you know, in urban neighborhoods. And I started doing that after my dissertation when I was um, doing my doctor of ministry. And it's funny because I started doing this in 2016. So that was before the the whole uh, conversation about why, you know, the, the terms justice or social uh -huh. justice or biblical justice or critical race theory, like all of that stuff is like, um, you know, dominating the conversation right now. But when I was talking about it, that was not even something that was on, on many people's radar. But um, uh, it was really important to me because I didn't see that as something that was important to the networks that were training the very people that were sending out to urban communities. Right. So um, that's that. That's I basically started the network because of that reason. Amazing. And, and I just want to let you know, I stalk you on Facebook. And when you're posting things about the passion to plant and you're doing your webinar, I'm like, yes, I just I love it. I love it. I love it. Just so that, you know, <laughs> you. I appreciate that. Yeah. When you think uh, about the black church in particular and its future, um, what do you see? Well, before I go to the future, let me just say that I love the black church. Um, you know, I identify as an Afro-Latina um, and the black church has been a big influence in my life because I've had many people um, from the black church pour into me. Um, and of course, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't think of it in terms of black church, brown church, you know, identity, you know, race relations. I didn't think of any of that stuff. Right. We were kind right. of just like going through the motions. So 
uh, and now at this age, especially now that I was, you know, developing this church planting network, I really wanted to draw a lot from the black church. So not only because I felt like like the brown church learns a lot from them, but because a lot of their belief systems and their survival mechanisms and their commitment to civic activism was, um, you know, in this uh, driven from this theological framework that uh, a lot of people that I believe in the brown church wanted to get, but they didn't mm-hmm. understand. And so to me, the the I still look at the black church as a model for us. And I know that no, no, no uh, institution is perfect. So I'm not saying right. that they are at all, but, you know, just the fact that, you know, they, they always believed in the providence of God, you know, that Romans 828, that everything will work out um, for good. I always mm-hmm. felt like, you know, it wasn't like in academic circles, a lot of people would say, oh, that's just a positive worldview. But for me, the black church was like, we're going to survive this. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to our lives are worth living. And, and even though we're going through some ugly times right now and some really oppressive times, um, we're, we're going to make it through. And it wasn't that they were looking through rose colored glasses even. It was just that they were, um, you know, I, I think about the Negro spirituals. Right. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, or, or sometimes I feel like a motherless child Um, and you know so they weren't faking it and I love the fact that you know they were being real about um, what they felt God would do and intervene in their situation so I feel like that's something that the brown church has picked up from not totally but 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 one of the things and also Mm -hmm. Uh, something that's going to carry them through to the future black church and and what it will do which I will get to in a minute and one more thing too that I feel that that the Brown church has learned a lot from, you know, in the, uh, from the black churches, the, the way that the black church believed in the justice of God, you know, that whole, Mm. um, Galatians six, seven, you know, what you reap is what you're going to sow brother. Uh uh And, you know, and that God was, um, really a big part of, of, of that, that just God is, was a big part of how they were functioning in life. You know, that they really believed that, you know, that there was supposed to be some ethical accountability with people and, you know, that we were supposed to love mercy and do what was right and walk humbly with God. And that they were always, you know, pointing people to that. I look at the people now, even in the black church that keep going back to that, even at a cost for themselves. So I believe that the the future of the black church is really undergirded by all these things that helped them in the past, you know, their belief in the quality of, of people, their, their perseverance. Um, you know, to me, I think that, that the black church as they, there's two things that I think about for their future that, um, is undergirded by all these things that helped them in the past. And that is believing that these things apply to the Brown church Mm -hmm. and, and that they will, um, make an effort to have those alliances because, um, you know, again, even though we don't have the same past and we, uh, you know, Brown church uh, folk and, and Brown folk in general ne- didn't necessarily go through the oppressive time of, of enslavement. Um, you know, we have been oppressed and we have had yeah. um, issues of injustice in our community. So it doesn't even make sense to me that we wouldn't want to lock arms and, uh, and fight for, for just, things in our community. So I think that's the future of the black church that they will, um, there, there is more of an openness for alliances, at least conversations, you know, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe they're not totally there yet because, you know, I understand that they're suspect because, you know, brown folk haven't always been 
they haven't always done right by black people, depending on their geographic location. But um, I do think that now there's so many other forces in, in the United States coming against um, people of color that I do believe that the, the black church is more open to the conversation of having alliances. And also, um, I believe that the black church is saying, you know what, we need to do more um with um, the new generation of Black church leaders and scholars and youth mm-hmm. activists. Um, and we have to put our tools and our, in our, our um, investment into the spirit that might help them to, to conjure up and congregate and, and really make something out of their communities based on everything that, that they have been exposed to. So I think those two areas are the future of the Black church, which, well, basically I, I would say, that is what my hope is. Yeah, my hope okay. is that that the future of the Black Church would be in those two areas. That they would um, pour more into um, looking at the past and seeing how they can, um, you know, uh, provide opportunities for that new generation of Black Church leaders and scholars and activists. But also um, that they would um, be open to those alliances. Amen. And so, um, with those two things, what do you think? Uh, would be the biggest challenge right now uh, that the black church faces? Uh, well, I think, um, you know, there's always been so many um, issues facing the black church that, that a lot of times it takes up most of your time trying mm. to fight those things that you don't make the time necessary for those two other things that would help right. to address the main um, injustice in, in a community. So I think, um, making the time and, and seeing the, the value in those things. Um, because what happens is that then everybody is kind of like siloed into their own communities and their own institutions. And then we just keep fighting these little battles instead of coming together and, and fighting together the big, the biggest battle that we have, which right now in, especially in the church in general is this whole, you know, nationalism that has been mm-hmm. um, brought into um, the gospel message. So I think um, I think that's the biggest challenge that that for a moment that they can look away from what they've always done, which is which has been good, but has not made room for those alliances and and those investments and and even I was I would even say these scholar activists right mm-hmm. um that that they will find room for them because usually in the black and brown church we see that there's always a focus on the pastor right yeah um you know that that's like the man the set man or woman of God mm-hmm. and um and and they always look to them but I think um looking at um a model where where the scholar and activists and pastors work hand in hand mm-hmm. to address these things. So there's people writing about it. There's people speaking up against it. And then there's the pastor training um, in the church uh, people so that they understand what's going on. And it's not that they're just so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You yeah, know, yeah. we have to train them and disciple them. And if, if we could have those three people work together um, and, and, you know, make the time for it and see the value in it. Um, I think that we would be much better off, all of us. Yeah, yeah. We, you, you, 
saying that you you got my head spinning now I like have all these other questions that have jumped uh, jumped to my mind and so you know really you're talking about like this really uh um uh, equipping uh, the saints for the work of ministry, right? Um, that fivefold ministry where it's not just top-down leadership or, you know, the sage on the stage, uh, but really activating the people in the pews to be a part of the work uh, of the redemptive work of Christ in our neighborhoods. Um, and so uh, when you're talking about these alliances between the black and, and brown church or black and brown communities, um, one of the, the trends in part of what I was writing about, even in my doctoral work, was uh, how the trends in with black churches, you, you know, uh, with white flight happening and then uh, black uh, communities coming in and taking the buildings over um, and then uh throughout the years, it then transitions where there are more brown people who begin to move into the neighborhood. And then after that, then gentrification comes and then everybody's gone, right? And so uh, it feels like these alliances can really uh, stop like some of that gentrifying that happens uh, because uh, these communities say, we're going to stay put and we're going to organize and and help one another. Uh, And so can you just talk about like, is there some kind of history uh, that we can look at between black and brown churches uh, when it comes to church planting or, 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 or church work or justice work in general uh, that folks who are listening that are pastors and leaders can really lean on. I mean, one of them I would point to is the the presentation that, that you listened to, which was, you know, to, to help people to see that this uh, suggestion to have these alliances is not something that's new. There's, they actually have happened in the past, um, you know, in the 60s, you know, I mentioned, you know, that there was a lot of um, of alliances based on the fact that, you know, we had Malcolm X and we had Martin Luther King, right? And, and I say usually, you know, we have brothers and sisters who are a little bit more Mal- Malcolm X and a little bit more Martin Luther King. And, right. and they, they decide, you know, like, how is it that we're going to um, address some of the issues in our community? But but this is why it's so important for everyone who everybody wants to be a prophet, but nobody wants to be a historian, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we need to to really go back into history and see where these alliances have worked. Yes, we do have history where they didn't work, where they kind of dismantled after they addressed the problem because. Um, you know, always ego gets involved and people want to have, you know, power um, and things like that. But, you know, again, in the 60s, we did see that Blacks and Latinos got together and they um, were were fighting a lot of the gentrification that was actually going on at that time. Mm. And um, and and a lot of the um, the uh, the injustices that were happening in certain areas, you know, so I'm, right now, I live I, I am from New York City, but um I live in in near Miami. So I always feel like understanding that geography, because all Latinos are not the same, just like all Black Americans aren't the same, right? right. We're not a monolith. Right. Um, so it's really important not to kind of categorize everybody as, you know, they're all the same because depending on the geographic area, depending on where they come from, depending on their generation, if they're mm. first, second, third, um, all of that matters in how easy or more difficult it will be to develop these alliances. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, we have a lot of things in common though. And that's why if we come to the table together with that open-mindedness, we um, we we can create these alliances. And if we think about why it's so important and all the things that are against us as black and brown, 
that should be enough to say, let's have the conversation and let's look at the things that are important to us that we agree on, you know, like, again, this whole theological framework, you know, we both believe in the providence of God. We both believe in, in, um, you know, uh, the justice of God in, in this fair and equitable, uh, God, you know, we, um, we haven't experienced different kinds of injustices in our communities, you know, um, we've both had like the short end of the stick many times, you know. Mm-hmm. So if we can look at those things and see that, um, you know, look at the history. So you're in L.A., I'm in, I'm in Florida, but whoever's listening, wherever they may be from, you know, look at the history of of what has happened in the black and brown communities and where it's worked and where it's happened. I think that'll be enough information for people to come together um, and create these um these alliances, like, you know, Ephraim created this alliance, this empowerment alliance. Um, you know, there's other places in, in, in um, uh, Dr. Alexia Salvateria has started some, some things as well in, in California. Um, in New York City, uh, there has been some other um, alliances that have been created. So that's that's one thing, as you know, that I think is, should be really important for people to look at. But also, you 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 made reference to this um, about the discipling of people, right? Uh-huh. So I think if people um, um, also make room for um, what Alan Hirsch, you know, calls the APES, um, you know, model, right? Yep. You know, apostles, prophets, shepherds, teachers. Um, if if there was more room for that as well, mm-hmm. there would be in the church, people will find that they can use their gifting and their talents and their passions to address some of these um, uh, ills in our in our community. So gentrification is a big one. But if you're not paying attention, you know, sometimes we're again, we're just focused on on getting people to heaven, yeah. but not but not um, paying attention to, um, you know, uh, on earth as it is in heaven, mm-hmm. right? We we, mm-hmm. we just focus on the heaven part. We don't focus on the as uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And we have to be training people in those areas. And we just have to change our discipleship methods to address those issues, make room for all the different ways that God uses people. And that, you know, and I would say, you know, yes, that APES model, but also um, to make room for, how God would work. And it's not always that that we're the ones with the answer. Sometimes it's it's we, not us. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, it's we, not us. What what is that? Tease that out a bit. Yeah. So so sometimes, you know, we're so used to being the problem solvers um, ourselves for our mm. own communities, instead of saying, maybe it's not just us. Maybe if we connect with that other group, mm-hmm. it, it'll be a we solution, not just mm-hmm. an us solution. I love that. And so you had mentioned not just to be prophets, but to also be historians. How important uh, is that in your view of, 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 us, of us being historians? And so uh, the reason why I asked that is I was awakened uh, watching the, the movie. Um, can't think of the title of the movie, but the story about Fred Hampton and, and the Black Power Movement. And uh, the the moment that uh, they were standing on the steps and uh, they had the black power and then they had the, uh, then they had Chicano power and they were like, we're going to do this together. I was like, where, where was this, where was this kind of uh, education uh, uh, in my school um, to talk about, you know, these alliances and how powerful uh, it is uh, for us to work together? Why, why, how, why, why is history important, especially 
the, like church history uh, to help us move forward in those ways? That's a great question, my brother. And the answer real simply is because the future is in the past. Mm. So it's a Sankofa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like we need to be able to, to see that history matters because a lot of times when we don't do our homework, we repeat the things that we, we you know, that happened before. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really important for people to see that. I mean, look at what's happening now in America. My goodness. It's mm-hmm. nothing new. Right. You know, we we've it's like we we refresh the cycles. It may be new players, mm-hmm. but the, the context and the content is the same. We, you know, the complicity is the same. Yeah. It's just new people that are dealing with it because it's, you know, generation, generation after generation. So if people um, see that, that if we look at history, we may be able to impact the future in a better way because we don't repeat the same mistakes. Mm. You know, just the issue of complicity in the church. If we were able to, to see this through history and say, wow, you know, Jamar Tisby did an amazing job with, with his book, you know, um, uh, both of the books that he, that he, that he has written lately, but I, I was listening to, um, it in the car. I'm, I'm one of those uh-huh. people that, you know, use all my time. If I'm waiting online, I'm reading a book. If I'm yeah. driving, I'm listening to a book. <laughs> and, um, you know, he talks about how, you know, you, you, there was many times in, in, in the past that the, uh, dominant church, could have set things straight and done things right. But mm. they always decided to choose comfort all over what was right. Mm-hmm. So if we, if, if, if everybody in, in that cares about what God wants to do in the future for all of us would look at that, they would, they would ask the right questions. What are we doing now that points to us doing the same mistake again? Mm-hmm. Where is it now that we can change our discipleship methods so that people that come out of our church not don't just know, uh, uh, you know, what but um, how to get to heaven, per se, you know, how to right. do the right things, but also that they're doing the right things as loving their neighbor, as caring for the person um, that that they may not know, caring for that other. What does that mean? So I think that's why um, when we think about. Um, you know, history teaching us something, then we can be, you know, prophetic and say, you know what, this is, this is what I believe God is going to do with the black church, with the brown church. But, mm-hmm. but let's look at all these points in history and all the cultural propaganda that was going on in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. And, and we could, we could point to where they're happening right now. Yeah. And, and also, If we um, look at where they were crucifying the truth tellers, Mm. maybe they would give them a place now in in society. But but what we're seeing is that our churches are still crucifying crucifying the truth tellers. Yeah, yeah. In a point of history, as we talk about women, I'm kind of pivoting a little bit, but to talk about women leadership and church planting um uh, oftentimes uh, those that don't see women as viable parts of leadership and church planting and pastoring and ministry is because they don't have a correct view of history of women and their involvement in the church all the way back to biblical times and so can you talk about this this piece now um just talk about uh, just women in ministry and leadership and church planting 
um, and, and your passion around that and why that's so important, uh, even for the future of the black and brown church and the church yeah. at large, why it's healthy for the church, the big C church at large. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, that is like a major thing for me. I, I've been trying to raise the voice and visibility of women for a long time because I believe that, that women are the, are fueling the future. Not mm-hmm. only have they been the backbone of the church in the past, but they're still going to be fueling the future. And so for, for, um, for churches not to give them a place, uh, it's just, kind of backward to me. Mm -hmm. But the great thing that I love and that I celebrate is that more and more women are not sticking around to wait to get the blessing from from whoever is is the gatekeeper of their particular uh, space. You know, Um, they're just doing it because they believe God has called them to do it. You know, and and I think it's important to realize, too, that um, women are have always been um, people that have kind of undergirded the church in so many ways. And, and I don't think a lot of the church could have, it could have survived if it wasn't for women. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, So I love the fact that women are just like, you know what, forget it. We ain't going to continue this debate. This debate also, you know, resurrects itself every few years. Should women be preaching? Should women be Mm -hmm. pastors? Listen, I, to me, I don't even, I don't even want to give that any more fuel. Right. Women um, are called by God for all um, um, areas. And I know that this is a denominational thing for a lot of people. They don't believe um, that, that, you know, they believe in, in some in some texts that say, you know, out of context, you know, that women shouldn't um, be be doing these things. But I just think that it's so it's a wasted effort to um, to be talking about it. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that we have to give spaces for that. And I know that recently. Um, um, there was a, an article um, and I and I actually wrote something in response to it because there was a, a article um, uh, in uh, Christianity Today about how we need women um, and how women are so important and things like that. And while I celebrated most of the article, the thing that really was a big glaring thing for me and that I addressed in my response was that we always celebrate women because the church can't do nothing without women. Right. But but they keep wanting to put them in their place. So mm. so if we're celebrating women, we have to celebrate women in, in all areas, not just in, um, you know, can our daughters prophesy? Yes, they can prophesy. Yes, they can <laughs> preach and 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 be able to say when we are celebrating women and when we're saying that. We want women to be more involved in church planting. I'm I'm not into the let's have women uh, be in church planting, but let let's keep them as as staff pastors. Let's keep mm-hmm. them as directors. Let's keep them um, in areas where they can't fully uh, uh, um, be the person that they believe have God has called them to be. Yes, sure. Some women do believe that they're called to be staff pastors and they're happy with that. But for the women that are called to be lead pastors, we got to make uh, room for that as well. And yeah. I think that's where um, there has to be some repentance even and restoration for biblical womanhood that, you know, mm. um, looks at the the scriptures and and believes that God will pour his spirit on all flesh. And can we stop that debate? And let's do this because we, we got work to do, people. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I um I remember when uh when I planted uh our church, the Rock, uh, back in two thousand and eight. I tell people all the time, uh, I didn't plant that church uh, by myself. Uh, my wife was right there with, so we were both uh, church planters. Even though the system really only recognized uh, me as the lead planter, but uh, the God to honest truth was that I was bivocational. So while I was at work being a principal, uh, my wife decided to uh, stay at home. Home, uh, with the kids and she was the one that was going in the neighborhood knocking on the doors passing out flyers talking to people so when i showed up on wednesday night for life group all these people were showing up i was like who are these people it's like oh i just met them and i was like yeah, she was the one that was gathering the people and i was just administrating right and, and so but that's what a good delta does right <laughs> Come on, there you go you know we deltas we know how to do it you know we've been <laughs> right? on the front lines you know, gathering people and talking to people and even in the justice efforts. So, yes. so, you know, we don't wait around. We we do. We do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so uh, my question is uh, for, for men that are listening uh, to the podcast and hearing you talking about women in leadership and celebrating women and, uh, and giving them room in their right. What are, what are some, what are some basic things that gatekeepers, men and women, because there are some women that are gatekeepers as well. Um, what are some things that they can practically do we said we don't repent um after repentance then what is it you know resigning from positions is it like yeah what what is it what is it that that some practical things that that gatekeepers can do whose eyes are now opened that that's a great question oh my goodness okay well you know i remember the movie the untouchables Mm. and and um sean connery's character and he he looks at um the person that was playing Elliot Ness, I forgot his name. And he go, he, as he's dying on the floor, he holds him close and he says, what are you prepared to do? Mm. So, so that's what I say to people out there that are gatekeepers. What are you prepared to do? If you really believe that, you know, that God declares that he will pour out his spirit on, on all flesh, on his sons and his daughters, and that, 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 that all of us will see visions and all of us will dream dreams. Then I say that, you have to be ready to restore. Um, so repent, yes, definitely that's the first step, but restore, and how can you do that? Well, if you're in a position to be in a gatekeeper position, you can restore their place. You know, you mm. can say there is room for you here and that we're not going to limit you by by a title. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to say that, you know, um, do the work of a pastor, but you only will be recognized as a director or do the work as a, as a co-lead pastor, but not even get paid. So we get two for one, mm. you know? Um, so, so what, are, what are you prepared to do? Are you prepared to, yes, like you said, I would love to see, you know, people say, you know what, we're going to stand together in solidarity and we're not going to take this church planting money because you're telling me that in order for me to take this church planting money, I got to look over my wife or my sister and not give them what they really are doing and what they're recognized by God to do. So, yeah, that means that 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 there's going to be some hard choices that need to be made and that maybe you don't even align with some networks that say that uh, that, uh, you know, women can't have um, every position in the church. So. So, yeah, that means that that you might have to do uh, a harder fundraising, um, Mm -hmm. that you may have to um, find other people in your tribe that believes in these things and maybe together. Um, you work together to to create a bigger church 
um, you know, together as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, my church here or that church there. Um, you know, look at look at the scriptures for yourself and 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 think about what is really important. Does is it something who's really making these these calls? Is it mm-hmm. man-made or is it God? Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then focus on the majors and not the minors. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it that's going to get God's work done on earth? Is it these divisions or is it that we're going to let women do what they're called to do? Um, Even if you don't even believe it, are you Uh going to let them do it? Mm. Even if you don't, because it it serves the greater good. It serves Uh the kingdom of God. It serves the purpose of God, the missio Dei. Can, can we, can we do that? And I think in that way, um, you know, women, the experiences of young women will be better and they will be able to, 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 um, have their place. Um, women, old, older women would be able to have their place because I think sometimes too, we have ageism even in the church. Right. Yep. And so if you're older, you know, we kind of put people out to pasture and um, so not to pastor, but to pasture. Right. 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 And so, so we have to be careful with that too. Uh, so gatekeepers really have a major role in, um, in allowing the flor- the flourishing of women, in Mm -hmm. in church planting and in service to the kingdom period. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Um, you know, we were, uh, in a conversation, I was in a conversation with, uh, someone last week and we were talking about micro churches or in fresh expressions. And we were talking about how a lot of the women, uh, who are in churches uh, currently have like these uh, women's ministries you know, that they've titled, you know, these ministries. Um, and and I was arguing, t- saying that I don't really think that that's a women's ministry as, you know, we've titled it. I actually think that that is the development of a micro church or a fresh expression. But I don't think we've given uh, a permission in a way for women to feel like, oh, I am shepherding this group of 12 women or men or young people in uh, in this school campus or uh, at this homeless shelter or part of this group home or whatever. And, and, and so it, it feels like to me, we, as you said, need to give uh, people in the pews more permission to pursue their call that God has on them and not be threatened by it as if, oh, they're going to take people with them or, you know, that, that kind of unhealthy, toxic kind of uh, thinking and behavior. That is so true because honestly, you know, this whole, I, you know, I, I've been a pastor, I've been a church planter. I understand the, the things that go through our minds, like we working and it's like, oh, I've been doing so much and now they're going to come and take these people or, Mm -hmm. you know, we hold them too tight and we forget that they don't belong to us. They belong to God, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and we don't look at, uh, different models. And again, this is one of the reasons why I created the, the Passion to Plant Network, because I wanted people to know that you do not have to follow dominant culture models to think that you're successful, to think that that you matter, that even if it's a micro church, it, it's still important to God because those are still lives, you know, mm-hmm. that you are impacting. And so I wanted them to have different um, uh, models in their mind about how they can do church, you know, yeah. um, even, even without a building, I wanted them to, to look at the the stories in the Bible and, and look at, you know, um, the women that were there 
you know, we have the strong women, right? We have the faithful companion yeah. women. We have the, the sexually shady women yeah. that God used and had in their lineage, right? You know, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Come on, we have so many mm-hmm. different um, of models of women that were doing different things, but that we can even now be looking to, to pour into in these kind of women in our communities um, through different models, you know, and, and, and really impact the kingdom and, 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 and individual lives. It's just what we're supposed to be doing anyway. Yeah. So to, to, to put our focus totally on metrics um, and models uh, that were celebrated in, in the, in the magazines and in the conferences, mm-hmm. we, we, we are um, getting off the right route yeah. and we need to, to, to kind of come back to what this really all means. And I, and even though COVID was a horrible thing, and even though, you know, we, uh, you know, we, we don't want that to continue to take our black and brown lives. Um, COVID did do something that I think was important. And it was that they made everybody kind of look again at to what was really important in, in, in our service to the kingdom, how Mm -hmm. we did church, what were the things that were really um, bringing life to people as opposed to just um, monotony and, and perfunctory performances? You mm. know, I think um, it, it really, I hope that people now as we're coming kind of out of it, even though we're still, we're not post-pandemic, right? People are talking right. about post-pandemic. Right. We're still in the pandemic. We're still in it, right. We're still in it, you know what I mean? But as as people are starting to kind of, you know, feel a little bit more comfortable traveling and 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 showing up in face to face gatherings. I'm hoping that people are are still kind of reflecting on what did we learn during this time that, mm. that we don't have to do church as usual, that we don't have to be um, um, looking for um, you know sheep stealing or anything like that, right? Yeah, that we yeah. there's so many people in our communities that need to hear from us and how can we, um, you know, like in my, in, um, in we have my, in my um, community, we, we do a comedy show every month. Mm-hmm. And, and when we were first doing it, everybody was like, y'all are crazy. How's God <laughs> going to use a comedy show? There's no way, sure. but you know what? It was during the, the Trump era mm-hmm. and people were just too divided and too sad, you know, mm-hmm. and there was just too much hate. And we decided that we wanted to do something that would bring people together where nobody cared about, uh, you know, what you look like or what political party you belong to, because laughter just brings down walls. And we yeah. decided to do that as a way of reaching people that may be interested in a spiritual expression. So we did it, you know, kind of opposite. Yeah. But but again, anything goes, anything yeah. goes when when you're trying to reach people for Jesus. And, um, you know, again, you know, looking at models, I mean, we have models of people that are going into um really crazy neighborhoods and, and reaching out to women that are, you know, kind of, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the sexual world, you know, mm-hmm. as a lifestyle, yep. they need Jesus too. We shouldn't yep. be running away from them, but how do we do that? So I think really, you know, anything, um, you know, by any means necessary, as Michael Max used to say, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, what, what is it that we have to do and can we throw out some things and can we reintroduce new things into the way that we um, do kingdom work? Right. So, so I said before um, in, in, in another, you know, session with a friend um, that we have to stop um, doing kingdom things in empire ways, you know? Wow. And, um, and, and really that that's like a lot of the things that we do. Right. 
Right. We, we, we try and take the, the work of the church and we say, well, uh, you know, church is a business. So we have to treat it, you know, the pastor is the CEO. And so now we're taking like that empire yeah, mentality and we're bringing it to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is just an upside down kingdom. So that's it doesn't, right. and nothing it doesn't make sense. Nothing makes sense. When yeah. you look at it that way, that's right. It's an upside down kingdom. So so it's not about making money. It's not about I mean, we need money to 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 function, right. obviously. But it, but if you really if that's where your heart is, you will support it, you know. Yeah. Um. And and again, nothing makes sense. So what makes sense to to you know the white capitalist Western world, it just ain't gonna make sense <laughs> for, right. for us, you know. Yeah. You have multiple degrees, right? You have a a, a doctorate in education. Um, an organizational leadership, a doctorate of ministry. Uh, and so uh, so I know that education is important. And we've had conversations about uh, uh, schools, uh, you know, for example. And so can you talk about like, when we talk about planting, you know, these black and brown churches are planting justice oriented churches. How does education, you know, fit into that framework of a justice oriented church in a black brown neighborhood that is under-resourced and underserved? Oh, wow. So education um, is like the backbone. It's, it's really the foundation of, of what we um, are putting out into society. So, so we have that theological education, but we also have that practical education um, so that we can help our people to get out of the socioeconomic uh, um, things that are holding them down. And yes. education is the key to that. So so we have, um, and we've talked about this ourselves, you know, having models where you have a micro church that is um, also, um, you know, like I have a friend that does started a char- chartered schools mm-hmm. and, and the building that they use for that, then they use it for, for church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once you have um, something that is bringing back life into the community and education is surely one of those things, um, you're, you'll be ministering to people's lives. And in that way, you also create a line, um, this ecosystem, if you yes. will, of, 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 of flourishing in different areas. So you, you are helping them, their children in education. If you're, if you're, um, doing something, you know, through, um, K to 12. Um, and I, and I believe, yes, I totally believe in education. I think that people need to educate themselves. So, you know, I'm a Pentecostal, so I know Mm -hmm. in, in, in Pentecostal circles, there was always like the, the Holy Spirit is going to educate us. (laughs) Um, uh, no, (laughs) Um, you you need to, you need to learn something. You need to either pick up a book, Uh um, and learn or, um, go to school. So I know not everybody can afford formal education. So I'm not saying that formal education is the only, the only thing that people can do, but there's so many, um, institutes and, and, um, and books, like, again, you just pick up a book, you know, and, and order a book on some of the things that we've been talking about, even on this podcast, you know, um, so that you can educate yourself so that you can also not perpetrate the misinformation or the mm-hmm. misremembering that like Drew Hart says, um, uh, to, 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 um, for our people. So instead of like regurgitating garbage, mm-hmm. you're actually giving people the truth. Yeah. Um, so I think, yes, church, church planters, um, pastors should always be thinking about their own education, 
uh, continuous education because readers are readers. Um, and if you ain't reading, then man, I don't, right. I don't know if you should believe. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so you, you know, we all have to continuously educate ourselves, but also, um, how can we create? educational ecosystems through our churches and through our parachurch organizations and things like that. So that, so that we're doing good by our people. So if if right now, like we have all these um, um, states that are um, coming against critical race theory because they basically don't want the truth to come out in history classes. Mm -hmm. Well then man, we need to create our own schools because our people cannot continue to, to hear uh, half of the, of the truth. Right. You know, and, and half a history. Um, so we need to create our own places where if, if the church can do it, that'd be awesome. If the church can create schools, that is even better. And um, and then we'll be we'll be uh, enhancing the kingdom and sending people out there that will be those um, scholar activists, you know, that mm-hmm. I that I mentioned, you know, that that will um have that education, but also want to make a difference in society. And it may not necessarily be, um, uh, you know, to be pastors themselves, but, right. you know, we need, we need people in every area of, the, of, of secular, of the secular world. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to stop the dichotomy of sacred and secular. Everything is sacred. Yes. And, and, you know, whether you step your foot in government or media or communications or whatever the case may be, we need our people, black and brown people in all those areas. And so the only way that, that they will even know that is if we educate them right and we get them to start asking the right questions. And the only way we get them to start asking the right questions is if we're giving them the right information. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much as we are in this uh, podcast uh, today. Um, we have a lot of people who listen uh, within uh, the Reformed Church uh, denomination. We have a lot of um uh, black uh, pastors and leaders uh, who are both men and women. And uh, and so if they want to get connected to you and to the work you do or passion, the plan, they want to, you know, find a cohort uh, and want to learn from you. What, what, how can they get connected? Yeah, thanks so much. So so we're in our first inaugural uh, cohort. We're going to be starting a new cohort um, in January. So um, definitely you can look up, look us up at passion and find out more about what we're doing there. Um, uh, to find out more about me and, and what, you know, all the different things that I do and, 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 and the organizations that I'm, uh, that I work with, um, you can, um, look me up at elizabethrios.com or drlizrios.com. I took all those domains <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, um, find out what I'm doing and read some of my articles, um, you know, see some of the podcasts that I've been on and what I've been talking about. Um, and yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm on all, um, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, except Snapchat. I can't, I can't handle that. <laughs> what about TikTok? Are you on TikTok? I was on TikTok and then I got <laughs> off, man. Cause I was like, maybe a 50 year old shouldn't be dancing. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh-oh, <laughs> that's my Friday party. <laughs> oh, see, I like yours. So you, you entertain us. No, but, that's you know, I, I wasn't doing too good, you know, so yeah. I was like, maybe I should. I was doing it, though. I was doing some of the dances, you know. Then yeah. I said, you know, my knee hurts and my, my hip is giving yeah. out. So maybe I yeah. shouldn't be doing it. 
Yeah, that's why I stick to the old school dances in my video. <laughs> well, again, I want to say thank you so much for accepting the invitation of being on the podcast, The Black Church Still Speaks. It's, again, a conversation in my living room that's uh, adding to the larger conversation of the church as we center Black voices. And so, uh, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, um, and I hope that uh, this blesses those that uh, listen. Amen. Thank you again for the opportunity. We want to thank our guests for rocking with us today. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. I said our because this podcast is not a one person show. There are some folks in the background who make this happen each month for our listeners. I want to give a shout out to our sound engineer, Garrick Steyer, logo and graphics by Warrior Design, our executive producer, Annalise Ratcliffe, and our assistant production manager, Lorraine Parker. I'm your host, Reverend Peter Watts with the AABC, and this is The Black Church Still Speaks.